Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. The CFO role is changing rapidly, moving from cost controller to strategic visionary. And with every change comes opportunity. We are here to help you take advantage of this transition to win at work, drive your career forwards and lead with confidence. Join Hannah Monroe, Managing Director of ITAS, a financial transformation consultancy, as she interviews key experts to give you real-world advice and guidance on how to transform your processes, people and data. Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of CFO 4.0. I am your host, Han Monroe, and today we have a returnee guest, um, Patrick Dunn. Now, for those of you that remember, Patrick came on to talk about what boards are looking for from CFOs. He's the author of the boards, of Boards, the book, um, and he's the leading authority in, in boards generally, to be fair, and is part of the Financial Times um, board directors program. Now, today we're actually going to take a slightly different tack and I invited back him back on because we had such great feedback from our last session um, and we were keen to continue the conversation. So we are going to talk today about that transition from CFO to CEO from a board's perspective. Um, and, and we're going to obviously dig into what boards are looking for, but also understand how to make it a successful transition. So welcome, Patrick. It's fantastic to have you back on the show. Great to be here and uh, lovely to be back for such a fascinating topic. I know it's an interesting one. So so what trends have you seen in that? You know, Have you seen it happening a lot at the moment in terms of that shift from CFO to CEO? I think whenever you get a disruptive moment, a crisis or something like that, uh, and growth is, is sort of held back, you often see a transition uh, in terms of the, the kind of sorts of candidates that the board's might prefer in times of crisis people tend to play safe uh they tend to look for you know people who are going to control the organization uh as 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 well as grow it so there's a natural kind of shift when when times like these happen so i expect i don't have any statistics yet but i expect just as in the financial crisis and and times before where there's been a disruptive point i expect you'll see more cfos uh being appointed ceos um, through this than would be the sort of even normal normal rate. And it's quite interesting, you use the phrase safe pair of hands. So so why is it that the CFO role, of all the sort of the senior roles within the organisation, why is it that role is the one that is potentially considered the, the sort of the safe pair of hands? Yeah, and I, and I would say considered as rather than it, that's not always right <laughs> but uh, but but from a board's point of view you know the person who has been you know the executive primarily responsible for financial uh, control and in some cases other aspects of operational control naturally would be considered the person who would be you know the person who would be most controlled in a crisis and most um, tight if you like from a board's point of view as compared with perhaps, and, and sometimes unfairly, you know, a CEO who might be considered to be more expansive, uh, more have a higher risk appetite. Uh, you know, CFOs uh, would the perception would be anyway. Again, not always the case that CFOs have uh, a, a lower tolerance to to risk, and so therefore, you know, the organisation would be less likely to uh, to get. Now, interestingly, there's some work done by 
McKinsey, which is showing that so far, the CEOs who've made the bolder steps in the early stages of the COVID crisis actually are the winners. So it's quite interesting that those who shifted the strategy quickly took you know, quite brave action quite quickly seem at the moment, it's very early days, but seem at the moment to be doing better than those who battened down the hatches, didn't make much change and so on. So does does that mean that those that are more likely to promote a CFO to a CEO role are those that are in, that are looking for a sort of a steady hand on the rudder versus necessarily sort of big expansion plans, et cetera? Well, I think I think if you step back, the, the first thing that a board's got to do is to think, you know, well, what what is the strategy, uh, and what is the context, uh, and a strategy that was right for one context might now not be the right strategy. And you saw, you know, through the last eighteen months, many organisations change their strategy, and if the CEO then didn't fit that strategy, you've then started to see them change the. Uh, change the CEO, change the leadership. So if the context is different and the level of your resources is different, you know, if your access to finance is now much less, if your growth prospects are lower, you might actually want someone just to keep it steady for the next couple of years for this phase of development. I always use the term, you know, for for CEOs, CFOs, chairs, um, you know, you have the right group of people for that phase of development. And so the first thing board's got to do is think about what is the phase development and then what what is the appropriate style of leadership and competency of leadership that you want for that next phase. Sometimes that favours an incumbent CFO. Sometimes it doesn't. So I think the first thing is for any CFO that would like to make that transition is to understand whether, you know, if understand the context in which they're working and, you know, perhaps pick their pick their time well is the the answer on that one. Yeah, and, and, and get prepared. You know, if you've got that ambition to be a CEO, then I think, you know, you should talk about it. Um, but clearly, you know, if your ambition to be a CEO is to be a CEO next week and there's an existing CEO who's there and they're not that far into their tenure, then that's setting up a conflict. Uh, so you have to be careful of that. But if you're making it known that, you know, one day – you know, or you'd like to be the next uh, CEO at the appropriate time, and you you know you're quite patient about that. And I think one of the things that a board should be doing, and the CFO themselves should be doing, is kind of investing in their developments to get them ready. I think an abrupt switch from classic CFO role to CEO role is is harder than obviously if they've had some other responsibility within the organisation. If they've run a division or if they've been a non-exec somewhere else, you know, they're going to be better prepared to be a CFO. And that transition, which is often where it goes wrong, it's often not the choice of person, it's the the way it's done, um, will, um, you know, it would just be, be easier, better. And I, and you made a really good point there about preparing because it because like you said it's not necessarily an instant switch it's something that happens over time so so what can CFOs do and you know to show that they or develop their skills plus show that they are ready to sort of step up to that CEO role Yeah so in in, in larger groups with um, you know more focus on succession plans often people who are you know fast track look like they've got the potential to be a CEO one day, but they're in some functional role. And it doesn't just go for CFOs. 
they'll be given experience at, at doing another type of leadership role. So they may have gone in and be a COO in a division for a year, or they may have gone to another country to, you know, maybe a smaller country and they've been CEO of a smaller, uh, smaller country uh, or smaller division. And that's given them that preparation. Sometimes they've been, you know, given a non-exec role uh, somewhere that might be in, in somewhere within the group, or, or it might be, it might be outside. And they've also taken part in other leadership development. So they may have gone on a, you know, an advanced management program or something like that, where there's a mix of of people from different sort of functional backgrounds who are all being sort of prepared to be CEO one day. Yeah, so it, it's about, I, I guess, making your uh, ambitious, ambitions long-term aware and finding opportunities or looking, I guess, for opportunities and speaking to to your, you know, your board and your CEO currently about where to find those opportunities as well. Yeah, and, you know, being a peer to the CEO rather than a uh, servant to the CEO, if you like. You have to be a servant to the CEO to some extent. But actually, being that partner to the CEO is more likely to make people think of you when they're thinking the next time for uh, you know who should be the candidates to go into the CFO ring. What's interesting is we, we've put this in the context of those people who are rising up from CFO within an organisation to be CEO of that organisation. But also, obviously, a CFO could go and be a CEO somewhere else. Um, and, you know, that brings advantages and disadvantages. Advantages in the sense that, you know, no one's got them in the CFO box. You know, because one of the problems in transition is thinking of people who were CEO, CFO yesterday as CEO today. Um, they don't have that problem so much when they're going somewhere else, but they also don't have the familiarity of the organization. So the speed of induction could be, uh, could be slower, but they're not cast in that role that they've been cast in as, you know, um, the person who gets to say no to someone wanting more money for something all the time, and you know, um, but they don't have that knowledge of the organisation. So it's a sort of pros and cons type thing, but they're quite different, I think, in terms of situation. Absolutely, and uh, I think at some you know some point during this podcast we should maybe delve into those different scenarios and some of the challenges. So in terms of that shift, where have you seen successes? Like when when have you seen it work? So, I mean, I saw it work uh, really well at um, at 3i when I was at 3i when um, we, we had a terrific CEO, Ewan McPherson, who managed the listing of, of 3i, the big IPO uh, of 3i. And the finance director at the time was a guy called Brian Larkham. Um, and, you know, a number of years later, I think it was three years later, Brian took over as as the CEO. Brian had been prepped really well. He'd run, um, you know, a, bit, a big chunk of the of the business before. He'd then been CFO through the IPO, so he knew all the shareholders, um, and he had quite good exposure to them. So, in a public company, you know, one of the things that matters a lot is what what do the investors think of the appointment that you're making, um, and so one of the, the positions that a CFO is is naturally advantaged in. CFOs tend to have more exposure to investors than other members of the C-suite. So, you know, they're known, they're either known and respected or known and perhaps not. Um, <laughs> but Brian was very well respected and, and that was a very smooth uh, smooth transition. Interestingly, Ewan was uh, sadly 
passed away a few years ago, but Ewan was a terrific CEO at a very difficult time. You know, the early 90s were a difficult time. Um, Brian was more expansive, um, more growth-oriented. And and so the, there was a natural evolution out of, you know, the early 90s into, you know, what was a sort of very exciting time for the industry in the late 90s. And Brian, you know, did a, did a great job of growing the business in that period, just as you had done a very good job through that phase of, you know, keeping things together through a store. And that's a really interesting point. If we go back to our earlier conversation, so you mentioned there, but um, Brian was very expansive. So he, as a CFO, was seen as obviously having that financial control, but also as having that expansive nature and looking to grow. So so is there anything that you could put your finger on that you, you could say, well, that's the reason that we saw him in that light rather than seeing him as a traditional CFO? No, I, I mean, I think he, he wasn't a traditional CFO in this. He wasn't, um, he hadn't come up through the CFO route. He'd come up through the, the commercial route yeah. and been CFO. I think, you know, I, I don't know because uh, as I was more junior at the time, but I suspect the board made him CFO in preparation of him becoming a successor. But I think this was a game of chess that was all sorted. Um, <laughs> whereas, you know, often it, it may not be like that. There, there were a, There were other candidates as well, I'm sure. But, you know, I think within the company, I think the company – I mean, people felt he was the natural successor, uh, and it was it was very smooth as a as a result. Interestingly, following Brian, um, another person, uh, Philip Yeo, was appointed CEO who had had a CFO background, um, and he came in as as a CEO, and and he was a uh, you know from from the outside. So you know, there's a company that did it both ways, and and both ways worked. Yeah. And that's really interesting. You know, if we think about that CFO, if you're seen as a commercial leader as well as a as a financial a focused person, that gives you that added advantage. Um, and that's, I guess, why we're talking about you know heading up operational areas or small, you know, smaller smaller head smaller sections of the business. So. Yeah. So let's talk about that transition, you know, all those differences of transition. So one going CFO internally, what are some of the challenges that candidates might experience if they're going from an internal perspective? I think probably the biggest thing is, is this issue of people seeing you like you were before. Uh, And it's a bit like, you know, if you go to university or you go away for your first job, you know, your whole world changes while you're away uh, and you come back to your street. And uh, but but people they kind of think it's a bit odd, you know. They're, they're behaving differently. They've got different ideas. They've they're, they're, they're you know just acting in a different way. But we know them as this. So the, the problem is often for other people, but then it manifests itself back on the CFO. So one of the things I think that you know, if you're if it's an appointment from within, you know, get yourself seen as more than just a numbers person. You know, get out and about, you know, stand in for the CEO. You know, if, if, obviously, if this is a good relationship between the two of you, you're a peer, um, you know, take every opportunity to be seen as the finance director rather than the finance person. Uh, so you're one of that top team, um, you know, going taking a real interest in the business, how the business works, all of that kind of thing will, will help you. Um 
if you're from the and, and also you have relationships that you've you know you've invested in some of those will be great and some of them may not um and there'll be people who'll be worried you know with you know if you're the top salesman and the person who is you know the the cmo put his hat in the ring or her hat in the ring to be ceo and they didn't get it you know you've got to get onto things quickly and show that person you know that you know that person might not might not have won but you know you really want to keep them and you really you know all of that so you have to really invest in the relationships and find out what people think properly you know because once you're ceo what you know you can't always believe exactly what everybody's telling you um and so you have to calibrate you know what are people really saying um so if you're a bigger organization you know there's glassdoor and there's all sorts of things um but get get out and about um show them the bigger more rounded self um and that's, i think that, that that helps a lot and get support from the others in the team yeah so leverage those relationships that you already have um to sort of position yourself differently so so what are some of the advantages of taking that role? We, I think we, we talked earlier about knowledge of the organization. So we, and we talked about some of the challenges, but what are some of the advantages of making that shift within an organization? So I think you've also got the advantage that you're a known quantity by the board, but you might be known for something different. So you may have stronger relationships with some of the non-execs than others because of the role that you've been playing. So for example, you've probably got a very good understanding of what the chair of the audit and risk committee thinks of you and the members of the audit and risk, but you might have less of a, uh, you know, uh, a quality relationship, if you like, with, with other members of the board who are focused on other things. The critical relationship is the relationship with the chair. Now, the chair, in appointing you, the chair has obviously endorsed your appointment and they will want this to work. So I think a, a good open conversation early on with the chair about, you know, what do I need to do differently now I'm a CEO? I would get around the non-execs and talk to them and say, look, you know, um, it's fantastic to be appointed. You know, just want to get your take now Now the appointment is made. Um, you know, what is it that you're looking from me uh, to do? Uh, getting that C-suite relationship. I think the the most important thing is get your C-suite sorted quickly. You know, the sooner you get your C-suite, you know, your team uh, composed how you think it should be for the next phase, the, 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 the better it will be. That's an absolutely critical thing to do and to do that quickly, not, not slowly. Raise your game with Sage Intact. Bring down your close time by up to 79%. Use agile real-time reporting for instant visibility. Land an average ROI of 250%. With the heavyweight cloud software rated number one for customer satisfaction. Finance that packs a punch. Find out more from ITAS, the UK Sage and Tech Partner of the Year at itassolutions.co.uk. Yeah, and I guess one of the hardest things is finding almost your successor as well, somebody that complements you rather than necessarily works in the same way that you do. So have you got any tips for those that are looking for their replacement, as it were? Yeah, so I think if you think, you know, the average tenure of a CEO in the UK in a public company or or large uh, companies, you know, five or six years. So, uh, and I think if you look at the the evolution of you in that CEO role, 
know, that's the average. So there's they're all over the place, but but that's pretty common. Uh, you know, the the first couple of years, you, you've you've got to get in and do the things that the board you know want you to do in terms of developing the business. You know, it might be repositioning it, it might be doing a deal, all, all sorts of things. Um, then you've got to really sort of then you're into sort of and you're doing this before as well, but you're really building for the future and uh, and working out, you know, what is the talent that you've got within? What's the talent that you've got within your orbit? <clears throat> and, you know, towards the, the end, the second half, if you like, you're thinking a lot about, you know, it's just a human thing. You think about a lot about your legacy. You know, what what will people remember me for? As it's my time as CEO. And uh, what's my stamp on... Um, on, on the business and what do I think it needs for the next phase? And you're discussing that with the board openly. So, um, you know, I think the better appointments are where the CEO, um, the CEO, in, in a way, you know, it's the board's job to pick the next CEO. Um, but you you can in, influence that in a, in a positive way, not a manipulative way. Um, you know, if you, you make it, if you have a good strategy, if you agree a good strategy with the board and you're uh, Grooming is not a popular word these days, but you're developing the um, the next sort of group, and the board has choice. Mm. You know, I, I know if, if I'm chair, I, I love I love it when you know actually there's two or three candidates who could do the job, and you know it's it's the tough job of picking who. Not that we've got no internal candidates, and we and we have to look outside. So we've talked a lot about the internal. Um, migration path. What does it look like when you're shift? You're currently in a CFO role, and perhaps there aren't the opportunities. The business is not in the place where you can really add value. You know, how do you identify or find those roles where you can? You know, you might be able to shift out of that CFO role to a CEO role. I think uh, if you've got good relationships with the search firms in you know the space that that you're looking at. So, you know, if you're a social sector organization, there are different search terms in that space than, you know, very large corporate, smaller companies, different search terms. If you've got a very good um, uh, uh, sense of what you think you would bring beyond the finance bit, because people will take that, yeah, fine, you know, he's fine like that. Um, But what people don't want is someone who's a CFO somewhere else who wants the CEO title but wants to carry on being a CFO. So you, you have to have a good degree of self-awareness around, you know, can I actually let go of a lot of those levers which I've been using, mm-hmm. which have made me successful in my current role? One of the hardest things, one of the hardest jobs to do is to be CFO in a company where someone who's been CFO internally or a CFO comes from from outside and becomes the CEO. Now, when you're coming in from outside, you don't know that everything is under proper financial control. And all of your natural instincts and urges will be to make sure, you know, rule number one, make sure it's under control. So you come in and you might actually crowd out the existing CFO. Uh, You don't know them. You don't know that you can trust them yet. Trust in terms of not just what they say, but, you know, trust in their competence. So you're trying to get the evidence to say things are okay. But the CFO inside is thinking, this guy doesn't trust me. <clears throat> you know, this woman, she, she, you know, 
why is she checking these things? You know, why is she seeking reassurance? And it's because of their own anxiety. And it's good. So one of the things I like to do so is actually to, to, to have that conversation beforehand and to say to the CFO becoming um, CEO, you know, there's going to be some tough bits of this. It's going to be a bit disorienting being a CEO. You're going to have to let go of some things. You're going to have to get comfortable. So before you start, maybe spend, you know, a decent slug of time with the CFO so that you've got all that stuff out the way. Um, you know, you've sort of sniffed each other out before before you start, if you like. And then you can start on a sort of, you know, a higher level of, of, of trust, if you like, uh, before you start. Because you imagine if you come in, it's your first CEO job, um, uh, and, 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 you know, there's, there's, you've got to get familiar with the business, the people, the board. Um, and, you know, you want to, you often retreat in a, in a transition to things you know, things you're comfortable with. Even if you've said, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons you want the job is to, for stretch. Actually, you know, our head is saying that and our heart's saying, oh my God, you know, I must make sure the numbers are in the control because it would be incredibly embarrassing if we have a financial problem. You know, so imagine if you're a public company and the first set of results you produce, there's, there's, you know, it's not quite together financially, either in presentation or, or substance, and you've been a CFO. That's deeply embarrassing. So all your instincts are telling you, you know, make sure that's right. So I think in that sense, it's, it's difficult. The joy is, you know, you're new. You can ask all those questions. It's hard for someone to, um, to be there before. Also, if you're, in an existing company, you get made CEO, a new CFO is appointed, and they might be a better CFO than you. And in fact, you'd almost want them to be. But but then there's this sense of, you know, when they say, why don't we do this? You're hearing, well, he didn't do a good job of that. We're going to do it better now. <laughs> so that all this psychology is quite important. And I think the chair plays a really critical role in, you know, getting people to understand these are natural urges, natural instincts, um, but we've got to deal with them kind of in private and, and not let other people get caught in the crossfire. And I think that's a really, you know, you've mentioned the chair a couple of times as, as part, you know, as a key part. And I, and I guess that's one of the things that CFOs that transition should be looking for is a chair that they, they, they can work with well and that they feel that can actually support their transition, you know, in, in terms of that shift. Yeah, I think so. And also, I mean, there may be other people on the board who might be better than the chair as well um, at bringing on the, the 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 CFO. So I remember at Leap, we we um, we appointed a uh, a young. In this case, it was a CFO, but one of the other trustees was just you know he was sort of the perfect uncle. Um, and so the CFO in that case, rather than CEO, but it would have worked the same. Was was just very good at having those private coaching chats with the the CFO. Um, you know, we, we had a, a tremendous CEO, very high energy, very sort of full on, fantastic guy, Tom. But um, you know, if you if, if it's your first CFO role, and and this this trustee was excellent at doing that. And it wasn't a sort of you know sometimes the chair because they're the chair, you know. Uh, People don't always express their vulnerabilities in the same way until you get to know them. So I think having a, a, a non-exec buddy, if you like, can be can be quite helpful. 
that's a that's a really great tip um, for those you know whether they're transitioning internally or whether they're um, doing it in an external environment that you know both in both scenarios that can really help is there anything else that you you know could help that transition that people should think about yeah I would get yourself a peer group quickly so it's interesting wherever I've made a CEO appointment as, as chair of the board has uh we we've tended to think actually that person now needs to change their peer group <clears throat> so if you're stepping up to a ceo role you know really helpful to have a peer group a, a bunch of people who've been through that transition it's actually the situational experience that's most important so almost invariably i'll suggest to the the new person in that role ceo in, in this case you know his three CEOs who've made that transition a few years ago, you know, not that long ago, but, you know, to, to maybe three or four years ago, talk to them about how that transition was for them, how they managed the obvious issues, some of the things that we've been talking about and um, uh, see, you know, use that and it's private. Um, you know, it, it it's really deep a lot of things they 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 talk about so actually when tom was made ceo of leap um you know he had a little kind of like a little ceo group and they used to <clears throat> have dinner once a month or or every other month or whatever the rate was and and they just you know they have a good natter a good complaint about their boards and uh the other ones. And, and they get it all out and you know it was all private and it was all kind of yeah i had that situation and you know and, and it may not be a direct comparator, or it might be. <clears throat> so I think that getting a peer group, um, and if they have a formal coach, um, which obviously in, in you know, many large organisations people do, that can help too. Um, the other thing that's really important is getting a good sense of how you're doing, which can give you confidence, because you'll have this brittle cocktail of you know elation and anxiety when you get there, oh, you know, great, I'm a CEO. You know, your family are very proud and your mates are proud and everyone's wonderful and, you know, you're strutting your stuff, you know, your first CEO presentations and all the rest of it. And then inside there's always this bit of, you know, well, actually, am I up to it? Um, and, you know, <clears throat> people are treating me differently now. They're not – people aren't sharing confidences in quite the same way they used to uh, when I was just the CEO or um, – so – I, th I think you've got to get some sense of calibration around how are you doing, how are you performing. So, you know, I'd ask the, the chair to get, you know, set up a formal feedback a couple of months in, you know, uh, what are you picking up and, and give people the right to give you feedback. Yeah, give them almost in some, I guess, depending on where they're sitting, permission to, to be open and honest with you about how things yeah, are Yeah, encourage them. <clears throat> yeah. And actually, I think the other thing that, that's actually come out through the pandemic very really well is that I think a lot of people have got more comfortable expressing vulnerability, you know, saying, I really don't know how we're going to deal with this, but I need your help to find the right solution. As opposed to, yes, I, I, know, I, I know exactly what we're going to do. Just can't share that with you yet. <laughs> you know, sort of, you get a very different feel and confidence in a leader depending on how they play it. I mean, it's okay not to know the answers to everything. Absolutely. And I, and I, and I think it's quite interesting how how the pandemic and the COVID has actually changed more than we think. It's it's not just the, the fact that we're working from home. There are so many other aspects to it. It's really interesting. So 
So in terms of, I guess, you know, are there any situations where it hasn't gone well that you've come through? And what learnings can you sort of share from that process? Yeah, so um, the reasons are, are, are usually fairly straightforward. Uh, you know, might be a very good person, but wasn't the right person for that organisation at that time uh, with that board. So, you know, a number of things have to be aligned for it to for it to work. Uh, and, and you can probably cope with one of them not being aligned. But if you've got two or three of them that aren't aligned, then it's probably not going to, you know, it's an airline accident, you know, one, no one single cause of failure, but, you know, the weather was rubbish. There was a problem with the plane and the pilot was, was not concentrating, you know, sort of. It's usually a combinatorial thing rather than a simple thing. Um, not actually doing the CEO job and not understanding it's a very different job from the CFO. It's not CFO plus. It's a different job. Um, and really acknowledging the areas of the CEO job where you may not have had experience or you may not be that strong and getting, you know, getting up to speed on that issue or that that type of thing as quickly there's a natural tendency as well when you take over ceo job to try and overdo it so the other thing i've seen is not getting that balance of effectiveness and pressure right you put far too much pressure on yourself you try and do everything in the first 100 days that's the sort of you know the 100 day thing is a good thing but actually it does drive some people to exhaustion <laughs> um, and not just them their team uh, so you have all these ideas, particularly if you've been inside the company, uh, you know, and you're thinking, when I'm CEO, I'm going to. And this list is growing and growing <laughs> by, you know, the, the month. And then you get to be CEO and you're right, we're going to do this. And you've got your action plan and you're determined to show, you know, that you're, 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 you're a leader and, and, you, and you overdo it. So I think pace is quite important that, you know, you've got to be clear what the point is, what your purpose is, and then clear about the, the pace the other thing is that you communicate in the most effective way. So sometimes the CFO hasn't been out front communicating. And, you know, some of these things are are a bit scary, you know, town halls. So that's why if you're, before you become CEO, if you can step in for the CEO at a town hall type meeting, you know, from time to time, you'll be comfortable with doing that. If it's your first town hall, it's your first one as CEO, and it's in a new company, you know, that can be all a bit of a scary experience, can't it? So uh, if that, the media is another thing. So if you're in a company where, you know, there's media interest, um, you know, we've all seen the, the YouTube videos of people making a complete hash of, you know, th th these things as CEO if something goes wrong. But actually, you know, how good are you at the, on the communication side? So again, you know, in prep, even if you've had no prep on that before, in between, you know, um, you being selected and you starting, go get media training. I think a lot of people spend their time in that spell, learning, 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 rather than sort of developing, developing, developing. So think honestly about the things, the bits of the game that you're less strong in and go get that development in that time before you start um, because it will really help you. Um, when you uh, when you go, um, the, the the other thing that that people often I mean we've talked about before is you know they 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 just keep behaving as a CFO rather than a CEO and it's a hard really hard thing you know it's the same when you if you're a non exec and you become chair 
you have to behave in a different way. Um, and, uh, you know, some is the same and some is, some is different. So I think thinking about how you, I mean, there's this sort of difference between being and doing, I suppose. Um, you know, a CEO has to be more, if you like. Um, and it's about getting other people to do, uh, to, to do things. It's about picking what things people do as opposed to, all that sort of basic stuff, I think you just have to go back to. Yeah. Absolutely. And some, some great tips there for anyone that's um, even, you know, considering stepping up and can get a sort of a, a step up. And if if so, somebody, if a CFO came to you now and said, right, what, what are the top three things that I could do now to get myself in a position where I'm either ready or seen as ready for that CFO role? What would be your sort of top three takeaways? I'd say, first of all, think about what a CEO has to do and how they need to be and think about where you're at now and which are the where's the where's the good mapping onto that. So which bits have you got sort of nailed now you're strong at? Which bits are you less sort of comfortable about? And really get up the get up the curve on those. Number one. Secondly, think about Think about how you're going to manage the transition if you do get into that position. And then thirdly, how can you maximise the chances of you being considered for that position? So what's your visibility with the board? What's your visibility with the the search firms? Um, You know, what's your credibility within the organisation if you'd love it to be within that organisation? Do you really know all the key movers and shakers? Because if the board sort of is thinking, well, should we appoint Hannah as CEO? Um, and, you know, they will naturally, as they're doing their sort of chats around, they go, you know, oh, they might, they might say, oh, you know, I think Hannah's doing a really good job at the moment, you know, uh, or, you know, be interested in your take on, you know, how do you think Hannah did it that last week? They'll, they'll do all these things. And if the answers they're getting is, wow, you know, yeah, Hannah's great. You know, we, we really uh, respect her. And, you know, what, there's what people say and there's what people think and how they express it. And, and good board members will know if someone said, oh, yeah, Hannah did a really good job at that. <laughs> sort of the, the, the tone doesn't match uh, the, the words. They'll, they'll, they'll pick that up. Uh, or if you don't look at them straight in the eye when you say, yeah, you know, I think she did a great job last week, uh, they'll, they'll pick all that up. And they'll be calibrating as they go. Um, good board members are always on the lookout for who might be the next CEO or who might be good candidates. So they'll be wanting to get to know uh, you. Get to know the board as a whole, not just the chair or the chair of the audit and risk committee, but be will be another thing. Make sure they know who you are, they rate you, and they like you. I mean, it shouldn't count in a way, but but it does count. Um, you know, so if you're a fantastically precise CFO. And you're right most of the time, but you're sort of irritatingly right. Um, you know, uh, people are going to think, well, you know, this person's just not going to be good to be with for the next six years. Um, you know, that there might be another choice, which is just as good, you know, in terms of competencies, but actually is just, just easier to work with. Um, so I think you've got to watch that sort of thing as well. Absolutely. And that's a really good point um, in terms of those relationships and just making sure you're seen in the right light 
Um, and no like and trust is a massive piece in all, you know, in all areas, isn't it? In terms of making choices. Yeah, you'll always have a logical reason to back it up, but a lot of the time you'll go on your uh, your instincts. So yeah. yeah, and never ever do anything to undermine the current CEO. You know, I've, I've seen some CFOs want to hurry the process along a bit, mm. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's a mistake generally because smart board members will know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, d- don't underestimate your board. I think is the is the is the piece there. So, oh, sorry. No, or overestimate them. Ah, <laughs> that's a really good point. <laughs> uh, yeah, they they you know boards as with any, any anyone else, and they're not homogeneous in terms of um, quality and rigor and all the rest of it. So, you know. Don't take for granted they might be doing something which you think they should be doing because they might not be. Interesting. So, yeah, so get a gauge on where your board is at and, 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 you know, know them, you know, as their strengths and weaknesses as well as your own. Wonderful. So uh, any, because I'm very aware that we've, this is, this, this podcast has just flown by as it did last time to be very fair. Patrick. So are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience? Any CF, you know, CFOs out there that are either considering or, you know, looking for that option? I think one of the things that you will have to do as CEO, which you will play a part in as CFO, but you won't have played the major part in, is developing the culture of the organisation. And in order to do that, you need to know what culture you've got and what culture you want and then figure out how you're going to move from one to the other in what is, will be a relatively short period. You know, cult, you can't microwave culture. It takes time. And, and culture is driven by, you know, behaviours and behaviours are driven by values. So one of the things I think to get really clear in your head is, you know, what are the values that you stand for? And they may be perfectly aligned with the current values of the organisation and the current culture, but thinking hard about you know, how do you, what do you want the culture of the organisation to be on your last day? And what are you going to do to actually get it closer to that um, during your, your time? And I think that's as important as any operational strategic type thing that you might have on your things to do in your 100 days. You know, what are you going to do to start the culture change if you think one is needed or just a development of the culture? I think that's probably the thing I would focus on because that often, you know, de- defines your leadership. Yeah, how will you be remembered, and what will what what will it be like when you leave? What your what will your employees say about you? Yeah, and you don't want it to be thank God they're going. You want it to be you know, blimey, they did a fantastic job and they've left the thing in great shape, and you know, wow, we've got three potential successes to pick from. Lucky us. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. As always, it has been a fascinating conversation and thank you for sharing your knowledge and insight with us. Um, For anybody that is interested, um, I can genuinely recommend Patrick's book. I've read it a few times myself. Some great content in there. So um, I will pop those links into, into the show notes that anyone wants to look at. But thank you again, Patrick. It has been fabulous having you back on. Absolutely. My pleasure as always. Thank you.